0: Isn't it amazing that we have a God that's preserved His Word for thousands of years so that He could speak to us through it today, right now? It's just an amazing thought, and I hope that I hope you don't get over that, how precious and amazing it is that we have the Word of God through which our God communicates to us. And that's exactly what we have been privileged to take part in, Uh, the last few weeks as we have looked into his word very deeply about the concept of biblical church leadership. And we've seen a very clear blueprint, very clear blueprint for what God has established and set forth, prescribed as the way in which every local church in every age should set up their leadership structure, their organization, and why that's important. We've talked about the reasons for it. We've looked at the distinctions between the offices. We've talked about the practical benefits. And now, uh, last but certainly not least, as we come to a conclusion of this series, we're talking today about deacons, deacons, the church's sacred servants. And that's exactly what they are, the church's sacred servants. The second office that we've looked at, we've talked about elders at length, and uh, now the second office that's established in the form of servant leadership by God for His church, deacons, the church's sacred servants. We're going to be looking, first of all, at Acts chapter 6, and this is something that we looked at as we began the series when we looked at the distinctions— Between elder and deacon, and we said that there really is supposed to be two separate offices. It's not supposed to be one blended entity or organization, it's two separate offices. And as part of that, we touched on this at the introduction message in this series a few weeks ago. So uh, we'll just remind ourselves of how this office of deacons really came about. Where did it start? How did it start? And that's found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So I hope you're with me on that. Acts 6, 1 through 6. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews, the the Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve, that's the twelve apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. So here's the solution they came up with. Brothers and sisters, select from among you So he's getting the the church involved, the congregation. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, to serving you. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. In verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So there's the beginning, the setting up, the establishment of the office, the very important office of deacon, separate from the elders, but still incredibly important, just as important as the elders are. And right away, what we see in this passage, and it's, it's played out throughout the different passages even we've looked at throughout this series, is this truth that kind of rises to the top. And that's that deacons serve so that elders can shepherd That's really the picture that we see here. Deacons serve so that elders can shepherd. Or you could look at it this way. Deacons serve so that elders are free to shepherd and to lead. So that they can focus the way they are supposed to focus. So they can fulfill the specific, very direct calling that God has for elders that's separate from the calling for deacons. It's partnering in the gospel partnering in the gospel, partnering in the local church, partnering in the growth of the church, elders and deacons working together. Elders are focusing in on teaching and on the spiritual needs as they pour that out to the church. Deacons are focusing on serving in a more physical, practical way. But both are pouring into and ministering to the local church. Different roles, different responsibilities, different ways and methods, but the purpose and the goal is the same, to further the gospel and to further the kingdom, to grow the local church in all the ways that God wills for them to grow. So often, unfortunately, it's really tragic, there is this mindset that deacons and other people that are in leadership might be at odds against one another, There's certainly cases, unfortunately, that lend itself to that thinking. I think that we have probably, most of us, seen how fallen people can still show how fallen they are. And many times that can be this kind of underlying current. But that's never how it's supposed to be, ever. It's not the idea that elders and deacons are at odds against one another or in competition with each other. We're trying to outdo one another. It's not that at all. It's elders and deacons bonding together, partnering together in the ministry and work of the gospel for the sake of the local church. That's how it's supposed to work, and that's how it's supposed to function. So I want to also have us consider what some of the modern and practical duties of the deacons might be. We saw at the beginning here in the the beginning of the office setting up in in Acts chapter 6, that there was a lot of ministering to the widows and and those in need and physically serving the unfortunate and the needy there. So coming full circle to now, what would the office of deacon look like? What should it look like? What, What are some of the modern practical implications of the deacons in today's church? One example would be facility management, taking care of the property, the physical aspect of the local church ministry. Another one would be church finances. That would include benevolence, so giving of the church finances to those that are in need, whether that's inside the church or outside of the church. We have a benevolent fund already, We do that. We take care of those that are in need that we're made aware of. The deacons, as we have them now, they oversee that. That's certainly part of what you could see as the deacon's role and as something that they would practically be overseeing. The financial aspect of the church ministry, which would include those helps and mercy gifts, benevolent type areas, and then the physical care for the church members. Just like you see here in Acts chapter 6, as there are widows, as there are people in need of very specific assistance. Or it could even look like caring for church members' homes. You know, if there's work that needs done in a church member's home and they don't have anybody that can do that for them, calling on the deacons to come alongside and take care of that. Those are just some very, very basic thoughts and possibilities of what modern Practical ministry of deacons might look like, and some of this you probably are thinking, well, that sounds a lot like what our trustees do. Exactly, exactly. Here's the thing: you can look all through the Bible; you're not going to see in any page of Scripture another office called trustee. That's something that, throughout the decades in the modern church era, that's something that was produced and created. And I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I'm just saying you're not going to find that match the biblical pattern. Uh, Really, what you see in so many of our churches, including our own, that has been what the trustees have done separate from the deacons, really it's the trustees are doing, in many cases, the duty that the deacons are supposed to do. So it really makes sense that... A lot of these areas that the trustees do and take care of would be something that falls under the umbrella of deacons, and you can designate. You can designate. You know, There's, there's a deacon for this area of, of the financial management. There's a deacon for the church finances aspect, including that benevolence. There's a deacon that really oversees the physical care of the church members, and they're working together. So rather than having these three distinct offices it makes so much more sense to follow the biblical pattern and to do everything that's already being done, but just define it and categorize it in the way that the Bible lays out. Not only will God bless in that, but you also see so many practical benefits. And I've said this before, that obeying God and following the pattern of His Word, first and foremost, honors Him. But secondly, it always works out the best for us because that's what he does. That's how he sets things up. So there's just some example of what the modern practical duties of deacons as it lines up with Scripture could look like and would involve. I also want to make sure that as we did with the elders, as we focused in on that important office, that we pay attention to the qualifications for deacons. Just like with elders something that is such a sacred office, deacons have qualifications that they need to meet as well, and that we should all make sure we hold as a standard when selecting our deacons, just as we did with the elders and with eldership. So for the qualifications relating to deacons. It's in the same passage that we looked at last week in the qualifications of elders. It's in 1 Timothy 3, so I want to draw your attention to that. Look with me there, 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to be focusing in on verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And we're going to see here in these verses and in these qualifications an almost identical list to the the description of and the qualifications for elders, except there's going to be one significant thing missing. As we talked about the qualifications for elders, one of the main qualifications, absolutely key for elders, is that they must be able to teach and we talked about that a lot, what that involves, what that looks like, why that's important, that's missing from the qualifications for deacons. That's not just an oversight. That's not a mistake. That's something that was very deliberate, very intentional, because deacons are not given that specific role or responsibility. Biblically, that's the responsibility of the elders. The teaching and the preaching... And the, the shepherding and leading of the church that falls to the elders. That's not something that is given to the deacons to be expected to do. That does not mean that does not mean a deacon can never teach. Doesn't mean that. It just means that's not one of the absolute requirements for that office. It's not one of those must be statements for them. Okay. So just a little bit of clarification there. With that in mind, let's jump into this list of very important qualifications for the very important office of deacons. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 3. Deacons, likewise, likewise is there because it follows after all the qualifications for elders. Paul doesn't skip a beat. He goes from elders right over to deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be, and that's the same word that we looked at last week, which signifies they need to already be people, men, that are, in line with these qualifications, must already be and then continually be. That's what's wrapped up there in that phrase, must be. So deacons, likewise, just like elders, must be, they need to already be, and then continue to be the following. Dignified, that's honorable and respectable to all people. Dignified in in how they approach people and how they function and how they live. Honorable, respectable, not double-tongued. That's not saying one thing to someone and then turning around and saying the exact opposite to someone else. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, Don't muddy the waters. Don't be contradictory. Be consistent. That's what's expected of deacons. Not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. Not greedy for dishonest gain. So you could kind of summarize what's said here in verse 8 these initial qualifications by saying deacons should not be hypocritical. That sums it all up. Not hypocritical, not inconsistent. Once upon a time, there was a deacon who had been known to be pretty full of himself, and he was filling in teaching a boy's Sunday school class because while teaching is not a requirement, again, something that they can do, and this deacon was filling in teaching a boy's Sunday school class, and he was trying to stress the importance of living an authentic Christian life, living out what it really means to be a Christian. And with an unmistakable air of arrogance, he asked, Tell me, boys, why do people call me a Christian? Why do people call me that? And after a very awkward silence, one of the little guys looked around and spoke up and said, Maybe it's because they don't know you. Ah. Not hypocritical. Not hypocritical. That's something that is expected and certainly required and should be of those who hold the office of deacon. And, of course, just like we talked about last week in the office of elder, and so much of this really does define both offices. Even though they are distinct and they have separate responsibilities and different ways of carrying out their office, so much of this is equally expected. And the qualifications match for both of these office holders. Both men, whether they are an elder or a deacon, should make sure that they are not hypocritical in how they go about living, that what they say matches what they do what they tell others to do under them as the elders are leading and shepherding, as deacons are serving and ministering, what they impart to those that they are serving in the local church needs to back up what those people can see in their own lives. They need to be able to see what they're being told or shown. Verse 9. Let's keep going with these qualifications. Verse 9. Paul says this of deacons. They must hold the mystery of the faith, the mystery of the faith. That's another way of describing and defining the gospel. They must hold the gospel as precious, as important. Their lives must line up with the gospel. They hold to what has been clearly communicated, what was a mystery for centuries, what was concealed and veiled but now revealed in and through Jesus. The deacons need to match their life according to what the gospel proclaims hold to that. And they hold to that mystery of the faith, the gospel, with, look at what it says, a clear conscience. A clear conscience. That's in contrast to that list in the previous verse, not being double-tongued, not being addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. If you flip that around, that's the opposite of what Holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience is all about. So they need to be a constant contrast to the things that are in contradiction to the gospel. With a clear conscience. That's how they are to go about living their life and serving and ministering. Verse 10, Paul says this, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves Blameless. That word blameless really is above reproach. Above reproach. So it's a consistently pure life. Not perfect, but consistently pure. Above reproach. Out of the realm of being able to have all these accusations leveled at them and, and not having anything stick. Similar to what we looked at last week, where we said that elders should have a Teflon type character where nothing really sticks. To them, and that their testimony is not tarnished. It's the same for deacons. And so, with Paul saying, let them be tested first, it's really important that this happens because serving in ministry, whether you serve as an elder or you serve as a deacon, serving in ministry will test the servant. It's going to happen. Everybody that's in ministry is tested, and you find that out pretty quick. It doesn't take long to discover, wow, I'm being tested. There's a lot of trials that come through ministry in the local church. And so serving in ministry will test the servant. So it makes sense that we would carefully, carefully observe everybody who is aspiring to the office of of serving and ministering in a specific way, whether that's elders or deacons. It makes sense that we would carefully observe their lives in order to approve them for the office. So it's an approval process that's going on here. It it really is the idea of what a metalworker does. A metalworker tests and looks for uh, impurities and blemishes and weaknesses all through the piece of metal they're working and trying to shape into whatever tool they want it to be, whether that's a tool to use for gardening or farming or whether it's a weapon. Especially in this culture, the metal worker, it was a meticulous process to make sure that the metal they were developing was exactly the way it needed to be for the work that was set ahead of it, that it was going to be used for. And that's the word that Paul really uses to describe what's going on here. And when he uses the word, tested. He's speaking of metallurgy and that that process of making sure this thing is approved to be used for what it's supposed to be used for. So Paul says that's what we need to do. Let these men who are coming forward, being appointed to be deacons, let them be tested, let them be observed first, then let them serve. Let them be appointed and approved if they show themselves to be above reproach. Very, very important process. So often, we can get into the habit of kind of skimping on that, rushing ahead. Sometimes that's because of the need that's present within the local church. And we all know that, that the local church often has a great, great need for people to serve and to fill in in the areas of service and ministry that are so important. And if we're not careful, we can skip over this important process because of just how much we need them. We need to be careful not to do that. There's a very important process here of testing and approving. Then, verse 11, Paul writes this, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And here is where we're going to camp out for a bit, because this is very important to understand. In our English translations, most of them, for example, I'm reading from the CSB. I know a lot of you have that. Uh, ESV is probably what a lot of you are reading from this morning. New King James, perhaps. King James. And in those translations, the word that Paul is using here is translated wives. The issue comes, though, from the fact that the word is actually "women." And the original Greek doesn't do us much favor here because wives and women use the same Greek word and can be interchangeable. So that means you have to look a little bit deeper. You have to look at context and you have to look at some comparison. And so that's where some digging comes in. Here's the thing. When Paul says here, and and I'm going to come from the position of that it really should be translated women... Another thing that lends itself to that is the fact that in the original Greek manuscripts, there does not appear. There's no possessive pronoun. There's no definite article in the original Greek. It's just women. Women likewise. And what's the likewise pointing to? This is why I said we're going to camp here and we're doing a little bit of uh, some in-depth Bible study here together, okay? The likewise points back to everything that had just been said and has been said up to this point about deacons. All those qualifications that we've, we've heard up to this point, they're all about, about deacons. And so when Paul comes to this part, again, I think it's a better translation to say women. Women, likewise, so just like the male deacons, women who are aspiring to the office of deacon and can be considered, it would really be deaconess, must be also dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And the fact that their their wives is not included in the original Greek is very, very significant. Because that says to us and shows us that Paul is not saying, okay, male deacons, you be this, be this, be this, and oh, by the way, all of the deacons' wives, they need to also be this way. The other reason that it doesn't make sense is not just because of the fact that there would be missing. It really comes back to the elders that we talked about last week that's in the previous verses and all those qualifications. Paul is very logical, always, in all of his writing. He's very logical. He's very deliberate. He's very intentional. He's very specific. So it doesn't make sense at all for there to be such an important office as elders that are responsible for the teaching and the the governing and the shepherding of the church, to not have their wives mentioned as being incredibly crucial to have similar qualities if it's really important that anybody who serves in an office has their wives to match their character. In other words, why focus in on deacons' wives when the deacons aren't actually the ones shepherding and leading and teaching the church and not have the same thing said about elders' wives when their role is as significant as it is. I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit, does it? So if there wasn't there in the original Greek and there's nothing said about elders' wives as important as their role is, then what is Paul really saying here? And especially as it relates to the context of these qualifications and this list. Would he really just stop everything and go on this tangent and then start talking about wives who, who don't hold an office at all, they just happen to be married to deacons? Or is it a succession a logical succession and progression in the same office under the same umbrella of deacon, and he's just focusing in on the fact that unlike elders who are responsible for teaching and leading, unlike elders, because there is not that responsibility for deacons, it's something that women absolutely can occupy. That's the question before us. Since deacons are not responsible for teaching and leading and directing and shepherding. Since they're not responsible for that, can and should women be included in this office of deacons as a deaconess? The answer, while it may feel and seem radical and just so unheard of, the answer is yes, they should be considered. Completely in line with the office of deacon, they should absolutely be someone that is able to do that as a woman and so here 's where I can provide you with a good example of that reason and that implication romans sixteen one through two romans sixteen one through two This is an example of the implication in this verse. this is using Scripture to interpret Scripture, which is what we should always do. Anytime there's a question like this, anytime there's something this monumental and this important, look at Scripture. Let Scripture speak for itself. Let Scripture interpret itself. Romans 16, one through 2 Paul writing, and he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Synchria, now, I want to stop there. That word servant, here's the big aha moment, all right? That word servant is diaconos. What is the word diakonos? What? Let me hear you. Deacon, exactly. Paul did not use doulos, which is like a house servant, a bond servant. He used the word diakonos. So I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a diakonos, who is a deaconess of the church in Synchria. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. In other words, hold her in high esteem and regard. She's important. She's special. Welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. So in other words, this lady Phoebe, she's already been serving the church. She's been using her resources and her gifts and her money, and she has helped so many in the church, including me. She's been a servant of the church in Synchria. Now I'm sending her to you. I'm sending her to you. So, coming back. Coming back around. Verse 11. If there wasn't there, their wives wasn't there in the original, and it really is better translated Women, likewise, connecting to all those other statements previous about the office of deacon. And there's Phoebe, who is referred to as a deaconess. Then doesn't it make sense and seem to be pretty clear that the office of deaconess is something that is absolutely an office that should be recognized and applied to every local church, just as the office of elder and the office of deacon in those clearly defined parameters. I think it's an absolute yes. I think it's a resounding yes. And that kind of then brings the question, okay, what duties would a deaconess have? Well, it really would be very similar to deacons. It would be the same thing as what the deacon's duties would be. As we've seen here laid out, and we've talked about this morning, it's caring for those in need. It's it's the practical, physical ministry to those in the local church. It's coming alongside those that need that help. It's attending to the people. Since it's not a teaching or a leadership role, as I've said already, there's no contradiction. No violation with what Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's about the elder. That is a clearly defined thing, and and there's clearly a stipulation that only men are to occupy the office of elder. That's clear. But since that's not going to be true for deacons, then a deaconess is in no way violating that uh, separate role of elder. So naturally then it makes sense for a deaconess to focus even more specifically on the ministry to other women and to children. Something that a male deacon certainly can do, but I mean it's just common sense that a deaconess would have even more potential for ministry to another woman than what a man even does, right? And they would have even more of a tenderness, most likely, as they deal with children. So there's a lot that opens up for a deaconess ministry to be for the women and the children in the church. But certainly, as it relates to those financial aspects of a ministry, those benevolent-type needs, that's something that certainly would fall under a deaconess without any issue or risk of exceeding the bounds that Paul would establish. So really suffice it to say that the duties of a deaconess certainly could be exactly what the the duties of a deacon would be, and then even maybe more so because of that gender difference. So some things to think about there, and it's just something that I wanted to make sure we stopped and really looked at in depth. It would be a great study for you to do even more in depth beyond today personally. So with all that in mind, let's jump back Verse 12, as we continue and wrap up these qualifications for the office of deacon. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, and like with elders, this is actually better translated one woman man. We talked about that at length last week. One woman man, that's really the same thing that's being said here. Managing their children and their own households well. Again, similar to the qualifications of elders. Like I said at the beginning, these, these qualifications are so, so similar. They're almost identical. Managing their children in their own households well. Why? Why is that important? Well, because especially for the office of deacon, ministering to the local church, managing the practical and the physical aspects of the local church, that's their focus. So if they're not managing their children. They're not managing their households well. They're not managing even something as practical as the household budget and and those, those needs in their family. How can they be expected to minister to people and manage things like a budget for a local church? How can they expect to do those very practical, important roles if they're not doing that in their own home? So another very, very important connection there. And then finally, he concludes this list of qualifications by saying this in verse 13. And really, this is a summary of everything that he had just said in those statements and verses previous to this. So you take all that together, all those qualifications, and this is the conclusion. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith That is in Christ Jesus. So, those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing, they gain a good reputation, they gain a good testimony for themselves personally, and they also gain for themselves a great confidence in their own faith. But they also are examples for people to look at them and and focus in on them and to have great confidence in their own faith. So, they can look at the deacons around them and say, Look at their faith. It's undeniable. It's unmistakable. Wow, that gives me confidence in my own faith. And and that's something that is, like so many other things that's listed here, that's true of elders as well. And what that all comes down to, I mean, as we wrap up this entire study, here's what I want to leave you with, this thought, this really important thought. Every leader, every leader, in the church should strive to make sure their private life matches their public ministry. So important, so crucial. Every leader, whether that's an elder or a deacon, both are servant leaders. The elders serve by leading, by shepherding, by directing and guiding. The deacons serve with that practical physical service and ministry. Both are servant leaders in the church. And every single leader in the church should strive to make sure their private life matches their public ministry. We've all seen example after example of what happens when that isn't true. We've all seen how detrimental that can be to the entire church when you have a leader who that's not true of. When you have a leader that says one thing in public and and does one thing in public in their ministry, but then in private, in their own life, it's an entirely different story. And not only is that incredibly dishonoring to God and to the name of Christ, but it's incredibly damaging to the entire body. So this is something that has to be absolutely of utmost importance. How do we do that? By making sure in our own private life that we are constantly in line with the Word of God, that we are being led by the Spirit of God, and we do that by your prayer support. I cannot stress enough, church, whether it's an elder or a deacon or a deaconess, anyone who is given this incredibly high calling to serve the local church in those ways, we are all desperate in need of your constant prayer support. That's how you, along with your encouraging support and your spirit-led submission to those that God places over you in these roles, but beyond that, you coming alongside those who serve in these ways in faithful and consistent prayer. That is what will empower the people that occupy these offices to remain faithful, to remain consistent, to not be hypocritical or, or contradictory. Do you see how that all fits together? Do you see how we all do this together? How it's elders and deacons together serving the local church And the local church then is empowered and equipped by those servant leaders, and the local church is praying for the empowerment of those servant leaders. See, it all just, it all comes together in this beautiful picture of unity and harmony that only God could come up with. Only He could do this. Isn't it a good thing that He did? Isn't it a wonderful thing? Let's pray together and just commit all of this and all of ourselves to Him now. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how clear it is. I pray that despite my own weakness and inability, I pray that Your Spirit took what was said this morning and accurately and personally practically communicated it to every single person that heard this teaching. I pray that despite me as the messenger and my own human weakness, that the timeless, perfect truth of your perfect Word was carried out. I thank you for your promise in your Word that you will never let your Word return to you void. But it will always accomplish the purpose for which you send it out. Thank you for that promise. We believe it. And I pray that you'd continue to take what was said, what was heard today, and by your Spirit, continue to teach from it and through it. And I pray the same for what we've talked about the weeks before this, previously, as we've talked about elders, their duties, their roles, their qualifications even at the beginning when we looked at the distinction in these offices. I just pray that you would take what is admittedly weighty, deep things, and I pray that your spirit would continue to be the illuminator and the teacher of these matters that we need him to be. And as we here at Faith Baptist go forward and seek to make changes where changes are needed, where changes are going to be beneficial, where we can be more in line with the biblical blueprint for leadership, I pray that your Spirit would guide and direct in all of that. Guide us who are already in leadership as we seek to navigate uh, what should be changed and how and when. Lead us by your Spirit. Keep us from making grave errors. Lead and guide and direct in our members and the congregation by your Spirit. And may we all be unified together as one body in this and everything as we go forward. And I pray all this with praise, in Jesus' name, amen.